0: We're going to finish up our series today on the fear of the Lord. Uh, I don't know about you guys, this has been a very challenging series for me. Not only preaching, but receiving, right? Like I tell you all the time, I don't preach to you. Um, I preach to me, and then you just happen to be here listening to it. Um, So this has been one of those series that's been hard for me, and it's something that I really want to, for the rest of this year, grow in. I, I really want to understand how to fear the Lord? I really want to understand how that works. And and um, and, and for me, a lot of times, growing up, I was I was uh, you know subject to a lot of very deep spiritual sermons. My dad is an excellent preacher, as you guys know. Um, and then the other people that would come in and preach for us, I, I was just I was around a lot of deep stuff. But my problem was a lot of times it's it's great to hear the spiritual, but now how do I apply that on Monday? Right, like, Like I understand the deep, I get the deep, but how do I make the deep work whenever I'm at school or when I'm at work or when I'm at home? I want to know how to apply it. And so today's message is going to be a little bit more practical than what we've had so far leading up to it. And, um, and our goal today is to kind of get us in the vein for the rest of the year of trying to learn about the fear of the Lord, trying to understand the fear of the Lord and then how to fear the Lord. So that's the direction we're going to be going, um, on week one, if you need to go back and check, you can look back on YouTube and see all of our sermons. If you want to go back and check any of them out week one, i talked to you about the difference between being, um, the fear of the Lord and being scared of God. Right. And we said for those of us that are in Christ, we have nothing to be scared of in God, but we still fear the Lord in that in that we understand he is big. Right. We understand that, that who he is, how powerful he is. And we are in awe and respect of who he is. And then in week two, we talked about the difference between fearing the Lord and being familiar with him. Right. The difference between fear and familiar. And that is that we don't treat God like he's one of us. We don't treat God like he's one of us because he's not. He's bigger than we are. He's greater than we are. And so we need to treat him with the respect he deserves. And then last week, Pastor Nathan uh, talked to us about who God is. And he talked about how, how God is all-knowing and all-powerful and he's everywhere. And listen, if that doesn't make you have a little sense of, of awe and respect, knowing that God is everywhere... For some of us, that doesn't bother us too bad until you start thinking about the places you've been, the things you've said, the things you've watched when you thought no one was looking and God was there. Right. And so we got to think about that. God's everywhere. We talked about he talked about how God is not only holy, but he is love. And those two things have to go together. And so it's a neat neat way that he uh, presented that to us to, to understand the, the, the bigness of God. And then last Wednesday, this past Wednesday, uh, Cowboy, or, or my dad, Pastor Mike, he preached to us about fear is a treasure, that it's something to be treasured. The fear of the Lord is to be treasured. And he talked about um, one of my favorite things that he said, it was really, really good, is this idea that we have to learn how to align our behavior and our position. Right? That we have a position as a child of God. And sometimes what we do is if we lean into that position, then we think, oh, I'm his child, so therefore I can do whatever I want. I can be however I want. And then sometimes we lean into the idea of the behavior and we think if I just act the right way and do the right things, and and so he talked about the idea of, of balancing out the behavior and the position that As a child of God, when I know my position as child of God, now all of a sudden I I know the behavior because I carry the name, right? I carry the name of Christ. And so uh, we talked about how that leads us into the fear of the Lord. Well, today I want to talk about how does we make fear? um, How does it impact my everyday life, the fear of the Lord? And so so I want to give you a couple of verses. They're all going to say the same exact thing. Um, We're going to start at Proverbs 1. Uh, Then Proverbs 9 and then Psalm 111. Those will be the three verses we're going to share to start off with today. So the first one is this Proverbs 1 7 fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge but fools despise wisdom and discipline. That's a good one right there. Like, that's one you need to put on your coffee mug. You need to write that on a piece of paper, stick it in your pocket, and every day pull that out. Fear of the Lord um, is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. You know what? Sometimes, this isn't in my notes, but it just hit me when it said that about discipline. Sometimes we don't like it whenever God disciplines us, right? How many of you just love being disciplined by the Lord? Nobody loves being disciplined by the Lord. Nobody loves being disciplined by your parents. Who loves being disciplined by your boss? When was the last time your boss called you into the office and you knew it wasn't a good meeting and you saw, here we go, you know, click those heels. Let's go do it. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes discipline, but discipline is what changes us. Discipline is what shapes who we are. We need discipline in our life. And the Bible says that a fool despises wisdom and discipline. We're not fools in here, right? How many of you are a fool? Only, Only one person raised their hand. That's what you get for fools don't listen to the pastor and they just see him raise his hand and they raise their hand too. Maddie. <laughs> Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10 says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. That's a good one right there. Um, Psalm one eleven ten says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commands will grow in wisdom. So today, what we want to talk about is the idea of the fear of the Lord being the foundation of wisdom. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is uh, it, it's it's the everyday understanding. It's the practical application of knowledge. Um, wisdom is is something that we. It's not just knowing something; it's knowing what to do with that information. Right. The other thing that the Bible says about wisdom here is whenever you look up the the word in the in the Hebrew, the way it was worded here is that. Wisdom here means the wisdom of God. So it's not just what's in my brain. It's what's in his brain. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not real smart and I need all the wisdom I can get. And I especially if I can have access to him, that's exactly what I want. If I can have access to what's in his brain, then that's what I need in my life. Right. Like you think about how often you Google something because it's not in your brain. So you Google it so you can figure it out. Can you imagine now if your Google was tied directly to God? How incredible would that be? And so what we need is we need his wisdom. And I love in Proverbs 9, 10, I'm kind of going back up for a minute. It says knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. What we need in life is the ability to judge, uh, not not judge people, but the ability to judge decisions, to be able to to be able to make the right decision and the right choice. A lot of us are dealing with that on a day to day basis. We're trying to figure out what am I supposed to do next? Like, what's my next step? What's my next job? What's my next promotion? What what do I need to do in my family? Is it time to start a family? Is it time to to get married? Is it what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Sometimes you may be finding yourself uh, retired. I, I talk to people that are retired sometimes and they say, you know, now that I'm retired, now what do I do? Right. We had an uncle one time. My mom had an uncle. So it was my great uncle and he retired He didn't know what to do with his life. And so he went out and he started cutting his grass and then he was so bored that he cut his grass every day. And then he was so bored that he cut his grass multiple times a day until he just had dirt in his front yard. He cut all the grass and killed every bit of it. He was just didn't know what to do with his life. And his health started going down, and and he started looking like he might die. And his son was a a lawyer in town, and his son got him a job as a bailiff. And when he got a job as a bailiff, all of a sudden his health came right back. Like he perked up and went to work every day, and he worked another like nine or ten years as a bailiff. It's funny how sometimes even, even at an advanced age, we still are asking God for wisdom. We're still trying to figure out what's my next step, what am I supposed to do? We're having conversations. Our son, our oldest son is um, about to graduate high school, and so we're having conversations with him. What are you going to do after high school? Are you going to college? Are you going to tech school? Are you going to do some kind of civil service? What, do you, what, what, is, what are you going to do with your life? What's coming up next? And, and, and a lot of times when we talk to people, Their only concept of what am I going to do next is based on what do I want? Like, we'll ask people, I I ask G2, I'll ask other folks, I'll say, well, what what is it that you want? What is it? And it's all, I want to make money or I want to, I want to be, uh, you know, uh, own something. I want to, and, and it's all about this desire that we have. And sometimes our desires get in the way of God's wisdom. People ask me about Church. What is it that you want to see happen in church? And I'll tell people all the time. Of course, I've learned I've learned at my age now and, and after seeing, talking about being in the bar and being in the PlayStation and all the different places we've been, I've just learned at this point life is like a roller coaster and God's in control and I'm just here to ride. You know what I mean? It's like whatever. We're going to go up. We're going to go down. We're going to do a loop. I don't care anymore. It's just whatever, God, you want to do. But, but I've just learned to say, hey, I've got these thoughts in my head of what I think would be great for the church to look like in the next uh, six months, in the next year, in the next 10 years. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like. Wherever God's leading us, that's the direction I'm going to go. And, and so it's just one of those things about wisdom is that we need wisdom. So, so that's what wisdom is. But then it says that, wis- that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. And, and that word foundation means this. It, it means the first and controlling principle. In other words, it's that thing that everything else is built upon. Right. It's the most important thing. So so in other words, when I'm trying to make a decision, what I need is the fear of the Lord, because if I have the fear of the Lord as the foundation, as the controlling principle, now all of a sudden all of my decisions are made not based on my desire, not based on what my parents say, not based on what my boss says, not based on what the market says. But my my decisions are now based on my fear of the Lord. Everything is run through that. I read a guy, I don't, know, I don't even know who he was or, or, or who he is, so I can't give him credit. But I will say that I didn't make this saying up. But I read something that said this. That word foundation means a radical God-centeredness that shapes everything else in your life. So how is the fear of the Lord the foundation for wisdom? The fear of the Lord is a radical God-centered uh, found, uh, God-centeredness that shapes everything else in your life that whenever I learn how to fear the Lord now all of my decisions are made based on that all of my decisions are made based on that not based on my desires look so we could look the Bible says I'm not going to go there um, in my Bible but if you, you can go back and check it out I think it's Genesis 3 6 where, where the Bible says that Eve Um, The the first sin that happens, God had already given a clear commandment to, to Adam and Eve not to eat of this particular tree. And the Bible says that Eve looked at the tree and saw it was desirable. Right. Her desire got in the way of God's will. And so that's what happens to us a lot of times. So we have to learn to fear the Lord. And as we fear the Lord, then we begin to move our desires out and begin to move his desires in. Right. And so I want to just tell you a couple of things that happens whenever the fear of the Lord um, is your foundation. So so when the fear of the Lord is our foundation, um, I'm going to give you four things that happen to us. And I think these are really good things. So If you're taking notes today, you can write these things down. I'll have them on the screen for you. The first thing that happens whenever we fear the Lord is he will teach us himself. Listen, I don't know that I'm a good teacher or not. I know my wife's a great teacher. She won teacher of the year. Anna Walker won teacher. They've got two teachers of the year in here. Someone else might be teacher of the year. I have no idea. Apparently, this church just produces teachers of the year. I need some of that to rub off on me so I can be really good. Um, But the, the idea is, wouldn't it be awesome? It's great to have Perry teaching your kids kindergarten. It's great to have Anna teaching your kids in fourth grade. But wouldn't it be awesome if God taught your kids? Wouldn't that be cool? And wouldn't it be even cooler if God taught you? I would love. I mean, I grew up with my mom and dad, you know, teaching me stuff in life. But what if God were teaching? I'm just kidding. What if God, they probably had God, maybe. The Bible says this in Psalm 25, 12. It says, uh, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him, he, talking about God, uh, him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. In other words, it says, who is the man that fears the Lord? If I can find somebody that fears God, that's the one that I'm going to instruct. That's the one that I'm going to teach. God wants to teach us, but, but our um, availability to be taught is directly tied to our ability to fear him. The other thing that happens. so that's the first one he'll teach you. The second thing is he will share his secrets with you. How cool is that? That God wants to share his secrets with you. The Bible says in Psalm twenty I'm going to have to I'm going to have to give you the meaning of this one. But it says the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. And you may say, Gabriel, that has nothing to do with secrets. But the word friendship in there, the, the version I'm using, uh, the, the New Living Translation doesn't. It just says friendship because it, I guess it fits better. But in other translations, it says the secret counsel of the Lord. The word friend there is not just a regular friend. It's not a buddy. The word friend there means my secret counsel. Those people that are so close to me that they're the ones I tell all my secrets to. We all have someone in our life that we tell our secrets to. What if we were that person for God? How amazing would it be if the God of all the universe, the God that is as big as Pastor Nathan preached him to be last week, was willing to come tell you and I his very secrets. So not only does he want to teach us, imagine sitting in a classroom and the teacher is teaching the whole class. And it's an amazing, great teacher, best teacher you've ever had. And he's teaching the whole class and you're taking notes and you're getting everything from him. And then after class, when class is dismissed, he says, Lawrence, I want you to stay after class. And Lawrence stays after class and he he brings Lawrence in and he says, Lawrence, here's the thing. This is what I taught to everybody. But let me tell you how I, how I got all of this information. And he begins to give Lawrence all of his secret notes, all the behind the scenes. That's what God wants to do for us. But he doesn't do that for just anybody. He does that for those of us that fear him that walk in this level of honor and respect. We don't treat him like he's a nobody. We don't treat him like he's just one of us. We treat him in the way that he should be treated. We honor and respect and worship him. We submit to him, right? And so, so it's gonna, it says that he'll share his secrets. Number three, whenever the fear of the Lord is our foundation, we will forsake evil. Job 28, 28 says this, and this is what he says to all humanity. Fear the, uh, the fear of the Lord is true wisdom to forsake evil. Evil is real understanding. Listen, there's a lot of stuff that can work with evil. You can be clever and still be evil, right? You guys know clever people that are evil. You you can be um, smart and still operate within evil. You can be uh, shrewd in business and still have evil. But you can't have God's wisdom and you can't have the fear of the Lord and have evil. Those two things don't work together. Those two things are incompatible, and so what we need is we need the fear of the lord and so sometimes Perry and I talk all we talk all the time so we don 't just talk sometimes, but but um, whenever we 're talking and, and one of the biggest one of our biggest fears, like one of our biggest worries sometimes is for our children, and so our kids get mad at us a lot because we make decisions based on what we feel like is good for their future and what we feel like is going to be best for them moving forward and they don't like that. Most kids don't and if you if you ever grow up if those of you have kids and they grow up to be teenagers, you're going to learn this lesson, right? Your teen your kids right now. Your little kids love you and they think you're the best thing in the world, but when they turn 13, you get real stupid real quick. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know how to make decisions because that's how a teenager thinks right and, and, and parents we get worried. We want our kids to grow up and make right decisions. We want our kids to grow up and be better than us. So everything that we're doing is, is out of this place of we want you to be great. And so we don't want you to ruin it now. So we want you to be great. Listen, she's been reading, uh, she's been reading in, in Job and she's been reading in, in Genesis. We're going through Genesis right now in our Bible reading. And she told me the other day, she said, Gabriel, just looking at how stupid the children of Israel were like the actual children of, of Jacob, like when you look at how dumb they were and the decisions they made, and yet at the end, God somehow brought them all back together and somehow God redeemed even the stupid decisions that they made. God still redeemed them and God still blessed them. She said, there's, there's hope. There's hope, right? There's hope for our kids. There's hope for us. I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. That's exactly what our conversation was. But, um, so I guess I'm not kidding at all about anything. The, the idea is this. I think sometimes we worry. We worry, right? And, and sometimes a lot of people, they'll ask me these questions. Says, As a pastor, I get this question a lot. What if I make the wrong decision? Like, I'm, I'm trying to make a decision about my life. I'm trying to make a decision about a job. I'm trying to make a decision about my future. Um, people ask me, well, we'll, well, do marriage. I had someone ask me the other day if I could do premarital counseling with them. And, and one of the questions that, that I know um, they're not going to ask, I'm going to ask them, is, you know, how do you know she's the one, right? Um, but, but that is a question. How do you know if this is the right person? Because marriage is a big deal and, and this is a lifetime thing. And, and, and so there's, there's these questions that we always have. And we're always worried, I'm going to make a wrong choice. I'm going to step over in out of God's will. I'm going to step over into evil. But the Bible says whenever we fear the Lord, when we fear the Lord, it even helps in our decision makings between good and evil. That, that evil is not compatible with the fear of the Lord. And so it's important for us to see that. So how does that work? Well, one of the things you need to remember is... Uh, we the way that works is is fear sometimes what that means is that we learn to love what he loves and hate what he hates and what happens a lot of times in in christianity is we learn to tolerate what he hates and nowadays we kind of learn to celebrate what he hates if you look at our if you look at our society in general we really do a lot of celebrating of the things that god hates i'm not going to get into my soapbox because I really don't have much of a soapbox because i don't really care that much about what this is but but like the Grammys, I think it was last year or this year whenever it was the big award show for um for music, and they had a huge like parade of just demonic stuff. Guys dressed up like demons, and and men dressed up like women, and and they had all this demonic stuff, and it was all about this, you know, and then people coming out on upside down crosses. I mean, it was all very satanic, and what happened was, is at the end of it, everybody stood up and cheered, and they celebrated. What are they celebrating? They're celebrating what God hates, and that's the way society's going. That's why I don't get too worked up about it, because the Bible says it's got to go that way so that Christ will come back, but But listen, we live in a society that does that. And and what happens is sometimes that trickles into the church. And we begin to celebrate. We begin to tolerate those things that that God hates. And so we've got to learn to, to hate what God hates and love what he loves. And Gabriel, does that mean we start hating people that are sinners? No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says God hates sin. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe. And so God loves the world. God loves people. He hates sin. And so we need to learn to do that and we'll learn to forsake evil. The, the fourth thing that will happen whenever we learn to put the fear of the Lord as our foundation is we'll be satisfied. I love that. Um, I think one thing that we we worry about sometimes is we worry about this idea of, well, if, if I'm making this decision, is it going to be the right decision for me? I can't tell you how many times Perry and I've changed churches and in schools and all the things that we've done. And it was always this question of if we do this, we left Auburn and, and moved to Mobile. It wasn't really much of my choice, um, but it was my choice where to go, right? The leave part wasn't my choice, but where to go was my choice, and so we, we had um, a pastor in, uh, in Florida offering us a job, and a pastor in Mobile offered, offering us a job, and then, and then a pastor local uh, in the Auburn area offering us a job, and so we had these three different places that we were looking at, and, and she's a teacher, so she can, uh, and obviously teacher of the year, so she can get a job wherever she wants, but But me, um, I'm not, uh, so I had to, you know, really make a good decision, and I remember we finally made the decision on Mobile, and and whenever we made the decision on Mobile, and we moved down there, the whole drive down there, she cried the entire way, right, three hours or whatever it was at the time, cried the whole way down there, and we got down there, and the whole time I'm thinking, was this the right decision? Pastor Jonathan and Anna just told you part of their testimony. They moved up here and then life fell apart for them. Was it the right decision? And we're always concerned about, am I making the right choice? Am I operating in wisdom? Well, here's the thing. If we have the fear of the Lord as our foundation, then that gives us access to the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. And if we're operating in the wisdom of God, no matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets for a whole year, right? no matter what happens, He will satisfy us. The Bible says this in Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Psalm 145, 19. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cries and saves them. It's important for you to understand today that as long as you can learn to disconnect your desires from your future and and connect them to his desires that he will always satisfy you at the end of the day. Now, does that mean I'm going to have you know, I'm going to be the richest person and I'm going to have a yacht and I'm going to have a right now for me, a watch that works because mine just has a circle wheel of death going on it. All right. Does that mean what does that mean? Listen, satisfaction is different. Because whenever my desires become his desire, whenever I change my desires into his desires. Now, what satisfies me is different. There was a time whenever I was a young pastor um, and I would look out and I would think about the things that I wanted from a church. And and I would go to these conferences and I would hear guys get up and they would say, I started a church. And in three months we had a thousand people and and our budget was two million dollars. And we had this big building. And I was going, man, that's awesome. I'm going to do that one day, you know, one day I'm going to have a thousand people and I'm going to have a big budget and I'm going to have all this stuff. And that was kind of my desire. And then over the years, as I got older and as I got more, um, more understanding about the fear of the Lord and more understanding about what God really wants and what life really should look like as I just lean into him. And I started realizing that God doesn't necessarily want me just to build a crowd that building a crowd is one thing and that's great and there's some people out there that have massive reach and then there's some people that don't have massive reach sometimes this is all we reach but I learned to be satisfied with what god gave me i learned to be satisfied with with what god was doing in the lives of individuals So now whenever I hear a story, um, if, if one of you comes up to me and tells me a story about what God is doing in your life, honestly, that satisfies me more than the sound of people getting chairs out during worship. I really don't care how many chairs we put out. People ask me all the time, how many people go to your church? I have no idea how many people go to this church. I really don't know. I know at some point we had 140 chairs out, so we probably have that many people here. Right, I mean, I have no idea because it doesn 't matter anymore. why? Because my satisfaction level has changed as my fear of the Lord has changed, and so it 's important to, to get a grasp on that what satisfaction looks like so let's let 's look at this real quick. How do I find the fear of the Lord, and this is where we 're going to start closing things down um, we 're going to read through proverbs two one through five, and at each verse it 's going to show us something. Now, I'm going to use the, the English Standard Version, and in this version, it's going, to, it's going to give you a bunch of if statements. So if you're taking notes today, you might want to write this down. Write if, comma then. If, comma then. The Bible is full of if, then statements. And what it is, it's almost like a contract between you and God. And what it says is, if you do this, then I will do that, right? Um, And the Bible is full of, the Bible says, from the very beginning, there's seed time and harvest. In other words, what you reap, you will sow. There there are things, there are places in life where we have to sow something in order to reap something. We don't just reap willy-nilly, we sow and reap. There are if-then statements, and so the whole Proverbs 2, 1 through 5 gives us if-then statements. So the first one is this. My son, if... You receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you. So what's the first thing we can do to find the fear of the Lord? The first thing we can do is learn to treasure his word. That word treasure there means to guard something or to place something in the inmost place. Right? So if I can learn to treat God's word, to fear God's word, right? To treat God's word with honor and respect, it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that, that your Bible um, has to be like in a prominent place in your house. It doesn't mean that if you drop your Bible on the floor that all hell going to break loose. I've had people tell me that before. I had someone, you know, get mad because there was a Bible laying on a table and then another book laying on top of the Bible and they said the Bible can never be underneath another book. Listen, it, it's not talking about the book. It's not talking about the pages. It's talking about God's Word, Right? If we learn to honor and revere God's word, how do I do that? I do that by as I read God's word. We say this every Sunday, just about we're not just ticking off boxes on our Bible reading plan, but we read God's word in a way that we are receiving a message from God each week. One of the things I'm I'm challenged to do and I want to do this year, and I may start it next week and I may start it next month. I don't know yet. But I'm challenged to take a whole book of the Bible, the book of John. It's a long one. It's 21 chapters long. And just go through it chapter by chapter with you as a church. It's a challenge to me because everybody tells me, they say, nobody's going to pay attention for 21 weeks, Gabriel. And so I'm like, I get it. I get it. So we'll just make up new titles and pretend like it's a whole another thing. But it'll just be John. <laughs> Got him. You know, I'll just be tricking you. I'll be tricking you. Just, it's all going to be John. Why, do I, why would I want to do that? Because here's what I want. I want us as a church, I want us as individuals, I want us as Christians and servants of God to learn to revere and understand God's word, to learn to dive into God's word, to, to receive all that we can get from God's word. The Bible says this in, in Psalm 119, 11. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart. I have put your word in a deep place in my life where it's so important. How many of you have stupid information in your brain? Who's got dumb trivia in their brain? I do. I remember a lot of dumb stuff. I had an argument with someone one time. They were telling me that Tom Brady was drafted in the 10th round. And I said, it's impossible because they didn't have 10 rounds when Tom Brady was drafted. He was drafted in the 6th round. And I don't even like Tom Brady or the Patriots, but I knew exactly when he was drafted. And I was right. I just have a bunch of dumb stuff in my head. And I wish I didn't. I wish I was like my dad and could just quote... Chapter and verse. I can't. I Google a lot of scriptures. But I want to learn to hide God's word. I want to treasure God's word. I want to protect God's word in my life. Why? Because the Bible says if I learn to do that, I won't even sin against him because I fear his word. Verse 2 says, making your, um, making your ear attentive. So it's, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Um, ha- have you ever noticed whenever you're trying to listen to somebody, and, and, and maybe as you've gotten older, like myself, um, and you've, you've had a lot of bass in your car as a teenager, um, you can't really hear as good. And so when someone's talking to you, one of the things you do is you do what? You turn and kind of lean your head over to hear what they're saying. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> Some people are pointing at their husbands right now. They're like, he's doing it right now. Um, here's what happens. I heard someone say this. And I thought it was a really cool thought. This old preacher, he's dead now. And He said, he said whenever you turn and, and lean in to listen to someone, you're having to bow your head to that person. He said, whenever you're really trying to grasp what someone is saying, but you can't hear very well, you, you learn to bow over to that person. And what you're doing is it's an act of submission. And so whenever, whenever, if I want the fear of God to operate in my life, I've got to treasure his word. But then I need to learn how to lean in and submit everything I have to him. Submit to his teaching, submit to his commandments, submit to his wisdom, the Bible says. It says, incline your heart to understanding. I need to change the, the um, position of my heart. My heart can't be standing. My heart must be um, submitted, down, bowed, low, inclined. Right? And so, so those are the first two. And then the next if statement is this. In verse 3, it says, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Yeah, but Gabriel, I'm just a quiet Christian. I know you are. But the Bible says there's a place where we raise our voice. There's a place where we raise our voice. Whenever you're in trouble, you will raise your voice. Whenever you are desperate, you will raise your voice. I am a quiet person when it comes to anger. When I get angry, I get very quiet. Until you push me over the edge. And then there's some point where I go from very quiet to very loud very quickly. Right. Like like there's a place in our life where we get expressive. And what the Bible says here is is whenever it comes to to um, understanding and insight, we need to call out for it. What does this mean? It means passionate prayer. Doesn't necessarily mean public prayer, although public prayer is fine. The woman that we preached about two weeks ago that came to Jesus, she was in public with her passion. She was passionate. She was crying. She was weeping. She was bowing down. She was on the feet of Jesus. It was very public display. But for her, in her perception, she didn't care what anybody else thought. She was doing something just for God. And in this scripture, it says we need to get to a place where we are crying out. We are passionate for the wisdom of God. We are passionate for God to move. I've shared this story a million times, but but in moving from Auburn to Mobile years ago, um, that was one of the things that I did is, is I was so desperate to know the will of God for our lives. I was so desperate to have the wisdom of God in my heart that I would go to another room in our little bitty trailer and I would cry out to God. I would cry out to God. And I think God honors that whenever he sees our heart. And so it's important. The, la- the fourth one and this, almost the last one, it says, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, if you seek it like silver and search for it, like hidden treasures, the Bible says there was a group of people in Acts chapter 17, verse 11 called the Bereans. And, um, and, and the Bereans did something interesting. Whenever Paul preached to the Bereans, the Bereans went home, the Bible says, and they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were telling the truth. I love that verse. I love the idea that there was a group of people that didn't just listen to God's word. They went home to check up on it. They didn't just come to church and listen to Gabriel preach. They went home, got their Bibles out and said, all right, now let's see if that boy's telling the truth. He is. What what, what did you call me, Kim? A little funny preacher. So he is a little funny preacher. Let's see if he's right. It's okay to check up on the preacher. It's encouraged, right? You should do that. Why? Because I'm seeking out wisdom like silver, and I'm searching for it like a hidden treasure. We need to learn to dig in to God. We need to learn to search out the things of God. Um, We don't want to live just on restaurants and takeout. When Perry and I first got married, she didn't know how to cook. I didn't know how to cook. Like, I had one recipe in my head. She had microwave... uh, uh, what are those things called? Corn dogs. She was good at microwave corn dogs every day, every day. Microwave corn dogs, lots of them. And so we didn't know we didn't know a whole lot. And so we could have very easily just said, well, we'll just order food or we'll just go to a restaurant and eat food. And I know some people that do that and, and we'll just go to the restaurant. But we would have been broke because we didn't have a lot of money to start with. We would have been flat broke real quick if we would have done that. So what did we do? We started reading. It's amazing what you can read. We read recipe books and we called people and and she got some recipes wrong and flooded our house with oil one time. But but we learned how to cook. We learned how to make food. And so and so we got to the point where we could make our own meals it's important to understand that when it comes to the things of God is you don't have to just rely on what comes out of this microphone. There's a whole world out there that God has for you. There are scriptures and a whole Bible for you to read and for you to learn and, and grasp all that he has for you. But we got to seek it out. We got to seek it out. So it says all those ifs, if, if, if. And then verse five And this is the last one. Guys, if you guys want to come up, it says verse five it says it's Then. So all the ifs, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Let me tell you something. The fear of God and the knowledge of God go hand in hand. The more I fear him, the better I know him. And the more I know him, the better I fear him. The fear of God and the knowledge of God go hand in hand. And so the Bible says, if we do those things, then... We're going to understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. There's one, uh, two verses I want to end with, Isaiah chapter 11. And this will be the last thing we talk about. We're going to pray. Isaiah 11, verses 2 and 3, it says this. Now, to give you some context, this is a prophecy about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So this is God speaking, God the Father speaking about the Holy Spirit and Jesus working together. Pretty cool. You got the whole Trinity. Pastor Nathan talked about that last week. You got the whole Trinity working together here. And here's what it says about Jesus. It says, and the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, shall rest upon him. Isn't that what we want? We want the Holy Spirit to rest on us. That word rest means to to dwell, right? I don't want the Holy Spirit to visit. I want the Holy Spirit to live in me. I don't want the Holy Spirit just to hang out in my house. I want him to live through me. I want him to make this house his own. And so the Bible says that, that Jesus, God in the flesh, will have the Spirit resting on him, dwelling in him. The Spirit, and, and this is what is called sometimes the, the sevenfold or the, the seven facets of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and And the fear of the Lord. And look at what it says about Jesus and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. I love that. I love that wisdom and knowledge and counsel and might and 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 uh, and and understanding all these really cool things. And it says, but his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. I looked up the word delight because I'm a nerd. And and here's what the word delight means. This is going to sound so stupid at first. It means to smell. It means to smell. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. As a matter of fact, in this particular verse, it's, it's a metaphor. So it's not even really meaning to smell, but it means to smell. So my, my brother-in-law, Jesse, my, my other brother-in-law, took uh, uh, took my oldest two kids, Gabriel and Emma, they, they all went to Universal Studios for for a little, little trip. And while they were at Universal Studios, this, what I'm about to say, I... I know it's dumb, but it's not me. It's them. While they're at Universal Studios, they stayed in one of the hotels, and there was a particular smell in the hotel, and they all commented on how great the smell was. So Jesse, being super weird, goes and researches, researches what is the smell in this particular hotel at Universal Studios, and finds it. Not only does he find it, but for Christmas, he bought Emma a diffuser with that exact scent. So Christmas Day comes, and Emma opens up her diffuser, and she's so excited, and she puts the oil in. I don't know how it works. Anyways, she does something, and all of a sudden, this smell starts coming up. And here's what Emma does. Ah. Ah it's so wonderful dad don't you love it and i'm over there going <coughs> you know like i'm dying got all this smell in my house she loved it and she would turn the diffuser on and she would just stand there just like some kind of drug addict the fear of the lord to jesus is a delight a smell that's what it means. That's what it means. That's what the metaphor is. The metaphor is showing you a, a picture in your brain of someone walking in and going, "Oh, that smell is so good. Oh, I love that smell." There's times when Perry cooks and I'll pull in the garage and that smell seep down through the floor and I'll get out of my car and I'll go, "Ah, oh, food." I don't care about universal I don't care about hotels, but I love food. And the smell, what does the smell do? The smell draws us. It draws me upstairs. The smell begins to change my plans. Because originally I was just walking in the house and I was going to just throw my stuff down and maybe go jump in the shower and and, and maybe put on some comfortable clothes. Or maybe I was going to go watch some TV, but I get that smell and it draws me in. It draws me into the kitchen. It draws me to a place. The delight of the Lord, the the delight of Jesus is the fear of the Lord. It's a smell that draws him in. Whenever we fear God, when we walk in the fear of the Lord, we become a scent to God that draws him in, that draws him in. I like at the end, it says this. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes on what he hears. Some versions say on hearsay. In other words, because he delights in the fear of the Lord, he has wisdom. And not wisdom based on what they see and what we hear, but wisdom based on God. will not you stand up with me today? As often as the case, there's no good ending to this series. There's no good ending to this message because really it, it kind of depends on us. It depends on me whether or not I fear God and whether I understand that concept. And maybe you do, and maybe you don't today. Maybe for some of us in the room, we don't understand the concept of fearing God. We don't really understand how to get there. But I've given you a couple of really good biblical points today on how to start that process. And, and for you and for me, here's what my prayer is. My prayer is that this year, this year will be a year that we learn to fear the Lord. And we may not get it at first. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but there's been plenty of times I've tried something new and failed multiple times until I got it. And that may be the journey that we're on for the rest of this year. Now, we're going to end the series today, but the, the concept of fearing the Lord is going to travel with us. It, it should travel with us the rest of our lives as we learn to fear the Lord, as we learn to allow the fear of the Lord to dictate our actions, to dictate our decisions. That's what we're looking for today. And there may be some of you today that you need prayer and Maybe you're struggling with some decisions. Maybe you got some stuff going on and you need God to come in and give you his wisdom. It starts with the fear of the Lord. So I'm gonna pray quickly over you and Pastor Jonathan's gonna sing one more song. As he does, our prayer team's gonna come down front and we just wanna pray with you. That's all we wanna do. We wanna pray with you. We wanna be someone there to stand beside you, to lift you up, to encourage you, to love on you as you're going through this process with us, as you're going through this journey of life. And you may say, I need the wisdom of God. Maybe for some of us today, we need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe we don't really fear the Lord at all because we've just treated him like a buddy. We've just treated him like somebody that we show up on Sunday morning and and talk to and we see. But we don't treat him like someone that we love and we desire and we're seeking after like we would seek after silver or gold. Maybe we've not treasured him up in our hearts. And that's the place we need to start today. So let me pray for you, and then, then I'm going to release you to get prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for this, this family that we've got here with us today. We thank you for our friends. We thank you for, for those that are visiting today. God, I just ask that you would speak to all of our hearts. For those of us that have been here the whole time, and and God, I just pray that you speak to our hearts, God, as we start this journey of fearing the Lord, as we set out this year to learn how to fear you, to to love you, to respect you, to be in awe of you once again. And so, God, I pray today that you would help us, help us to submit ourselves to you. God, if we don't know you today, we're not serving you today, I pray that today would be the day, that, that your word says today is the day of salvation. And so, God, we don't have to wait for tomorrow. We don't have to wait until we get home and get things right. We don't have to wait until we put our addiction down. God, today is the day that you're drawing us into a relationship with you. You're drawing us into a place of fear. And so, God, I just pray that today you would draw us into that place of respect and honor, that place, God, where we give you everything we've got, where we see you as big as you should be seen. God, we love you today and we thank you that you are not only love, but you are holy. And so we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts and speak to our minds today. I pray that we would have access to your wisdom in Jesus name.